Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God has spoken. Jesus is his final word. Are you hearing him? Are you responding to him? Is he at work in your life? Are you allowing him to work in your life? Are you living with the expectation that God is speaking? Because he is. He's speaking through his son. And he's not silent. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins this series with his teaching on Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, in a message titled, God's Final Word. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Hebrews, well, first of all, let me say, Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Now, you know, all of us, I'm sure, have certain books of the Bible that that just seem to stand out. When you read them, they're just a kind of a unique thing that happens. Hebrews is that for me, along with some other books, but but Hebrews always stands out. I'm excited because it's uh, one of my favorite books. Hebrews is one of the great theological epistles of the New Testament. Now, when I say theological, what I mean is that it goes into quite a bit of theological depth about the the work of God, the redemptive work of God, what Jesus did and all of the implications of it. It's, It's similar in theological depth to Romans. But as we approach it, we need to understand that it is one of the great theological epistles of the New Testament. Hebrews draws deeply from the Old Testament. It's in Hebrews that you have more than any other New Testament book, you have just this constant referencing back to the Old Testament. Now, again, some other books do that quite a bit as well, Romans in particular. Now, Hebrews is uh, deeply rooted in the Old Testament and shows that Jesus in his person and work is the uh, fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. So a study of this epistle, one of the things that I think is going to be valuable to us as we study through it, is that it is going to immerse us in scripture. It's just gonna, you know, we're, we're really gonna be very scripturally rooted here because again, even though it's a New Testament book, it's constantly taking us back to the Old Testament. And as it's immersing us in scripture, it will be reminding us of the great eternal truths that even though often obscured by the insanity of life in a sin-sick world are nevertheless guiding history toward God's intended end. And I think that's important. There's so many things that are going on in our world today, so many crazy things that are happening, and it's easy to get distracted by those things, and it's easy to get lost in the mire of all of that and and to forget that regardless of what's happening among the nations, regardless of what's happening with the politicians, regardless of what's happening with the courts, that God is moving 
things, history is moving in the direction that God said it would go. It's moving toward an intended purpose and end. And, and this book is going to remind us of that. You know, just being in Israel, I was reminded of that again. Uh, you see all of the things that are happening, all that's going on in the Middle East, you know, of course, with the ISIS and uh, all of these things. And yet when you're there and you see, you know, you walk through a, a gate that Abraham walked through 4,000 years ago, or you see the synagogue where Jesus taught, or you're there at the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on the water and calmed the storm. It brings everything into perspective. You, you just walk away going, oh yeah, right, God is in control. These people should not be in this land. From the human standpoint, there's no human explanation for why the Jews are back in the land today when you think of the international opposition to their presence there. But again, it's a reminder that God is in control of history, not men. And this study through Hebrews, uh, I think, is going to keep that fresh before our eyes. The second thing I want to let you know about Hebrews is that it is the only New Testament book that is not directly connected to a human author. So all of the rest of the books, of course, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so forth. And then we know that Luke wrote Acts. And then we've got Paul's epistles and the epistles of Peter and John and James and Jude and and all of that, this is the only uh, epistle in the entire New Testament where there's no human author connected to the epistle. And so the, the author is in, intentionally not identified. This epistle was first written to the Hebrews, and specifically Jews who had initially embraced the good news of Jesus the Messiah with joy and fervent devotion, but were now, due to rejection, persecution, and a seeming delay of God's plan, contemplating a return to the comforts and security of Judaism. Now, we don't know the exact date that this letter was written, but let's just say that it was written 20 years after the ascension of Christ. And Jesus ascended roughly 32, 33 AD. So, here we are. Let's put ourselves in, in the place of these Jewish believers. It's, it's 52, 53 AD, 20 years have passed. They've put their faith in Jesus the Messiah, uh, fully expecting God's blessing upon their life, uh, fully expecting that very soon Jesus would come and establish that Davidic kingdom. And yet, at this point, none of that has happened. As a matter of fact, at this point, they're they're being ostracized from their community. Uh, they're being excluded. They're being persecuted. They're losing their, uh, their, their jobs. They're uh, being kicked out of their homes. And the Jewish community goes on with business as usual. The temple is still there. It's this amazing structure. The priesthood is still intact. People are going up and worshiping at the various feasts and all of that. And these guys are excluded. And they're experiencing this harassment, this persecution. So what's happening here is there is now a temptation for them. They're starting to rethink their commitment to Jesus as the Messiah. Well, maybe, maybe we need to go back to Judaism. That's what they would have been thinking at this point. 
This epistle is an explanation of why that would be a fatal mistake. And so the epistle is also a strong warning or actually a series of warnings that to turn from Christ back to Judaism is to put oneself outside of God's grace and under his wrath. What the author wants them to know for sure is that if they were to make a move in that direction, they would be departing from the living God. In chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, uh, the warning is stated unequivocally. Let me read it to you. He says, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? That would be what they would be doing if they were to return to Judaism. And so the epistle is a series of warnings. And there's application for us today as well. Because I know, and perhaps you know, people who came to Jesus, were following him, were excited about him, were serving him, were living with expectation of blessing and the return of Christ and so forth. But as time went on, difficulties arose, challenges came. The Lord didn't come back when they thought he was going to come back. And so they've decided to go back to the world. I know people who have done that, and maybe you do too. We see this, this passage is a warning for all of us, even today, against that kind of thing. Now, finally, the theme of Hebrews is the supremacy of Jesus over all. You see, they were considering going back to the former things, back to Abraham and back to Moses and, and David and all, all of those things that were, that were represented. But what the author is going to show them is that Jesus is, he has supremacy over all of these things. He's greater than the angels even. He's greater than Abraham, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, David, the prophets. He's greater than all of them. That's how he argues his case as we go into the epistle. He shows that the covenant, the new covenant, is a better covenant established upon better promises. His sacrifice, in contrast to the temple sacrifices, his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, is a once and forever sacrifice that can never be repeated and is sufficient to cleanse the sin of all men forever. These are the things that he is going to remind them of. And then he's going to begin with a reminder of the person of Christ, who he actually is, that he is the brightness of God's glory. He is the express image of his person, that he's the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, that he is God the Son. And so... That's kind of a, an introductory overview of what we're going to find as we make our way through the epistle. But the first verse reads this way, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. 
So this is where he starts. God in the past, in times past, yes, he spoke in various ways to the fathers by the prophets. The author here is referring to the revelation that came through what we commonly call the Old Testament. And it was through Moses and the prophets that God spoke in time past. And there was always more to come because the message of the Old Testament was incomplete. You see, the Old Testament is what you would call anticipatory. It's it's anticipating something. It's always pointing to something beyond itself. You know, one of the great tragedies of, of the modern Jew is the fact that they haven't recognized their Messiah. They're, they're still looking back to the Old Testament and, and really they're looking back 2,500 years since God has spoken. And they're embracing this and immersing themselves in the law and trying to find God and righteousness through that, they recognize on, on the one hand that the law and the prophets pointed to the Messiah. The tragedy is that they missed him when he came. And so here we see them today laboring to keep the Sabbath and all of these different things that they've developed over the centuries and forgetting that the, the main, that the gist of the Old Testament scripture was the messianic promise. As Jesus would say to those uh, leaders back in his day, you search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. The scriptures pointed to Jesus. And so in the past, in times past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, and the term last days here is a reference to the final period of history, where in the past there was always further revelation that would come. There was uh, what we call sometimes a progressive revelation. That progressive revelation reached its climax in the coming of Jesus. So he's now the final message of God. And that's what the author is referring to when he says, but in these last days, the revelation of God is complete through the son. And so he says in verse two, that God has in these last days spoken to us by his son, or I think a better translation at this point is in his son. We'll talk about that in a moment. So this is what the author begins with. Jesus is God's final message to the world. And this was written 2,000 years ago. Jesus is God's final message to the world. There is no other message. There is no further message. Now, some people have the erroneous idea that, well, you know, uh, God sends different prophets to different people in different parts of the world and cultures. And some, you know, sometimes people make statements like, well, you're Christians because you grew up in the West and uh, Christianity is the religion for the West. But if you were born in the East, you would be a Buddhist or you would be a Hindu. And their idea is that it's all the same thing anyway. And it, it just really it doesn't matter which one you choose. It, it, a lot of it has to do with where you were born, how you were brought up, and so forth. But this, of course, is contrary to the message of Scripture, and it's contrary to what we are reading right here. There is no other message. 
God's final message to man is through Jesus. And there, there is no other message, nor is there a further message. You see, Jesus is the message. We don't simply look to what Jesus said. We look to who Jesus is. And it's who Jesus is that is really God's final message to the world. God's message to the world is Jesus Christ. He's the message. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again, all of those things, that's God's message to the world. And so that's what the author, I think, is intending us to lay hold of. So the word spoken by the prophets about God was, of course, accurate, but it was only part of the story. The full story would be told in his son. So what has God told us in his son? Many, many things. Let me just touch on a few. What, what is God, what, what is the message that, that has been brought to the world in the Son? What, what is God saying to us? Well, first of all, we would have to say that God is saying, I love you. That's what God is saying. And he's saying it to the whole world. So God has spoken in his Son, his love. I love you. I will forgive you is another thing that God has spoken. God has spoken to us through Christ. Christ did not come, as he said, to judge the world, to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. And it would be our sin that would bring uh, on his judgment. It would bring our condemnation. But what does he do with our sin? Instead of judging our sin, he forgives our sin. Jesus came with that message of forgiveness and that message of cleansing. I will cleanse you. I will cleanse you of your sin. All of that, the guilt and the stain and the, the, the perversity that is, is there because of sin in your heart and how that manifests itself in destructive behavior toward yourself and others, I'm going to cleanse you of all of that. And this is exactly what he has done. And I will receive you would be another message. You see, the great message of the new covenant, and that's what Hebrews is really all about, it's about this new covenant, is that we can come into a personal relationship with God. You see, this was not the experience of the average Jew prior to the coming of Jesus. The, the idea that God was your father in a personal sense, that God was intimately associated in caring for you and, and loving you, that was not an idea in the Jewish mind. They saw themselves collectively as the people of God. We're all part of God's family and Israel is God's son, but the personal aspect of it wasn't there. But the prophet Jeremiah said that the new covenant, this would be one of the chief features of the new covenant, God said, in that day, I will write my law in their hearts and uh, in their minds, and all of them shall know me personally from the least to the greatest. And that's the message that Jesus is bringing, that God is not a God that's far off, that God is no longer hidden behind the veil 
that can only be passed through once a year with the blood to make atonement, but now that veil is torn and all people can come in and experience a relationship with God. That is what would be included in him receiving us. But then I will carry you would be another thing, or I will take care of you. I will guide you. I will bless you. I will uh, protect you. I will provide for you. These are all of the things and blessing. Jesus came to bring us the message that God is a blessing God. Many, many times in the scripture, God, God desiring to bless his people would tell them many ways that blessing would come. We read in the first Psalm today, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's just one example of the many times where God was communicating to his people how to experience his blessing. Well, through Jesus, God brings us the blessing and he invites us to come to him again personally. He invites us to follow him. He promises to be with us forever. So what has God communicated to us through his son, in his son? What is the message of Jesus to the world? It's the message that God loves us and God has reconciled us to himself, that we can know him personally and have a relationship with him here and now that will extend into eternity. This is what God has spoken. Jesus is God's final word to mankind. And now, as I said, having started here, the author is just going to go on and he's going to systematically show the superiority, the supremacy of Christ over everything that came before. And in the end, coming to the conclusion of the epistle, the great appeal to, to hold fast to what you have. You, you have the ultimate. There's nothing better. You could never improve on what you've got. At all cost, hold on to what you have. And there's that, the reminder through uh, the, the, the 11th chapter of all of those saints of old who, who did these great things by faith, and the promises that they had were so much less than the promises that we have. And if they did what they did, how much more are we to persevere and to succeed spiritually based upon what we have now in this new covenant? And so as we close today, God has spoken. Jesus is his final word are you hearing him? Are you responding to him? Is he at work in your life? Are you allowing him to work in your life? Are you living with the expectation that God is speaking? Because he is. He's speaking through his son. And he's not silent. He's speaking through his written word. He's declared the future. He's told us where history is headed and all of those things. But then He's speaking into your life personally and into my life. And he wants to, to be involved with us on a daily basis. He wants to encourage us and comfort us and, and guide and direct us and all of those things. Are we hearing what he is saying? Are we responding to him? I hope so. Because 
That's where the blessing is, and God wants to bless us. For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.